0: Welcome to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California, advocating for California's rural counties for nearly 50 years. Hometown California tells the rural story through the eyes of those who live, work, and play in the rural communities of the Golden State. This is Hometown California. I'm your host, Paul Smith. I'm pleased to be joined by Randy Moore, head of California's Region 5 of the United States Forest Service. Randy, thank you for joining me today in what uh, is a very trying time for California's forests and wildlands, and we really appreciate you being on the line to do a a podcast and share some thoughts of the Forest Service with our listeners. So thank you for joining
1: us. Thank you, Paul, and I'm happy to do it.
0: Yeah. As mentioned here just a moment ago, this is a pretty trying time with obviously the fires and the management of our nation's forests in California, but elsewhere is just as difficult. With that, can you describe your role as the head of Region 5, which is clearly a very senior leadership position within the U.S. Forest Service? Hopefully that'll provide our listeners with the basic structure of the Forest Service For those that don't know, it is within the Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, but there's a lot more to it. Maybe you can break that down and explain how the Forest Service is organized.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Region 5 is one of nine regions of the U.S. Forest Service across the country, and each region is semi-autonomous and consists of small geographic units, national forests and national grasslands. So, the nine regional forests report to the chief of the Forest Service, Vicki Christensen, who's in Washington, D.C. And Vicki reports to Jim Hubbard, who is the Undersecretary uh, for Natural Resources and the Environment. And Jim Hubbard works directly for Secretary Sonny Perdue, which is a cabinet level post reporting to the White House. So, in California, Region 5 manages just under 21 million acres of national forest and grasslands. And about 20% of all the land in the state is what that amounts to. We do partner in forest management on state and private lands in California, Hawaii, and then the U.S.-affiliated islands like Guam, Palau, American Samoa, Federated States of Micronesia, that whole area out in the Pacific. So we have 18 national forests here in California and one grassland. Each of those are managed by a forest supervisor. Now, the forests themselves are further divided into ranger districts. And with the exception of some of our more urban forests, most of our forest headquarters and district offices are located in rural counties, and they're actually represented by our CRC. And depending on the complexity, forest management decisions are made at each level of the agency with some decision-making delegated to the district ranger.
0: Yeah, it's a rather lengthy process of governance, but when you're managing 20 million acres And that's just in California alone, you probably do need some structure that kind of reflects both the sentiments in Washington, but also sentiments at the county level, the state level, and even to a certain degree, that region of a forest, or as you put, I think a ranger district. So yeah, very, very complex set of governing structures to manage. And maybe talk a little bit about yourself and how you came to the Forest Service and kind of what a typical day is for you in a senior role heading up Region 5.
1: So I uh, was born, raised, and grew up in Louisiana. I uh, studied uh, soil and water science going through college. I actually had my first assignment up in North Dakota, working with uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service, and I roamed around up in North Dakota, Montana, uh, Colorado, Washington, D.C., North Carolina, Missouri, Wisconsin, and now California.
0: That's a pretty wide variety there of places you've been, Louisiana, North Dakota, California. That's very diverse there. So let's get into kind of the issues that we see here at RCRC with respect to counties and supervisors in those counties with respect to their relationship with the state and counties. In August, the Forest Service signed a shared stewardship agreement with CAL FIRE, the leading state fire agency, and uh, the Forest Service committed To treating 500,000 acres of national forest lands per year in California to match CAL FIRE, that makes about a million acres total. Can you describe what this specifically means and its potential impact for California's national forests?
1: The shared stewardship agreement really formalizes a lot of work that Region 5 and all of our partners have been doing for many years. Several years ago, we recognized a need to manage vegetation and perform ecological restoration on about six to nine million acres of national forest system land, and we looked at trying to get this done within a 20-year time frame. And the only way we can get this done within a 20-year time frame was to look at about 500,000 acres per year. That also had a direct impact on the fire interval return of fires on our different landscapes. So to do this we would have to ramp up both within the agency and with our partners. Now, upon assuming office and supported by the work of the previous administration, Governor Newsom recognized a similar need on the state and private lands. And so because we're talking about a million acres across all jurisdictions, the shared stewardship agreement will have implications for all forested lands in California. In addition to increasing our pace and scale on forest management, the potential benefits are really many, but primarily increased public safety, reduced impact of catastrophic wildfires, coordinated and efficient land management across boundaries, and clean air and water, not to mention improved wildlife habitat. And so the bottom line for this is that these actions will provide economic benefits to rural communities through provision of good-paying jobs in the timber industry and opportunities for public recreation and business associated with tourism that are visiting. You know, we looked at the value of the national forests in California, and we looked at it from an economical standpoint. And I will tell you that there's a lot of value in terms of economics. About 50% of the water in California really flows all through national forest managed lands, And of course, that water goes to support a $46 billion ag industry, but also it's used for drinking water. So when you put a value on that, you're talking about anywhere from $9 billion for agricultural purposes to about $420 billion for drinking purposes. And so depending on how you want to look at how that water is being used, that's a lot of value. We also took a look at recreation and what it provides economically to the state's economy. And recreation provides about $2 billion to the state's economy off National Forest System land. And we also look at some other type things, timber industry. You're looking at about $500 million that timber provides to the local economy. And you're looking at electricity generated off national forests to the tune of about 2.4 million homes. You know, there's enough energy there to provide energy to 2.4 million homes on an annual basis. So when we looked at the values coming off national forests, it's plenty. And it provides pretty good flow of economics here into the state. And so working seamlessly across boundaries seems to make a lot of good sense. And so we are really just pleased to be working with the state uh, as a partner. And I gotta tell you, of all the places that I've lived, California is very progressive. And I, I don't know if the citizens of California recognizes that, but we have a commitment through our resources here in the state, unlike anywhere else in the country that I've had an opportunity to work with. And I'm just pleased to be just a part of that.
0: So what do you think the first steps are in exercising the joint plan, the 20-year joint plan in terms of forest stewardship? What would our listeners and those that are adjacent, living adjacent to a forest or uh, have a significant forest presence in their county, what would they see in perhaps those immediate years?
1: So, so I will say that um, I, I think it started Governor Brown's Tree Mortality Task Force and Governor Newsom's Forest Management Task Force. And the Forest Management Task Force is compiling their action plan now. And this includes work by both functional groups and geographical subgroups. And their work would be foundational in the development of this 20-year plan that is mentioned in the shared stewardship agreement. So I would say that the first steps to complete the plan have already happened, and we intend to build on the great work that the task force uh, has developed and, uh, and also looking at developing a plan around that. Now, I will say also that in addition to the state programs, the Forest Service has given a number of congressional authorities that allow us to expand the shared stewardship model. This includes the Good Neighbor Authority for one, and this allows state, counties, and tribes to join agreements with region five to actually perform work on national forests. So at the local level, this could mean efficiently and seamlessly moving equipment across landscapes from private to state to federal lands. And there's a couple of other opportunities as well. The We call it the CFLR, it's the Collaborative Forest Landscape Restoration Program, and also the Joint Chief Landscape Restoration Partnership with our sister agency, is the Natural Resource Conservation Service, And so we funded a number of these landscape level projects across California, and we intend to continue to uh, look at opportunities to do that. One other thing that I'll add, and I'm just excited about the partnerships and the opportunities here in California. We have a signed MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, and it originally started out with uh, Forest Service and Sierra Forest Legacy, CALFIRE, Sierra Pacific Industries, and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. We now have over 33 signatories on this document, and this document is intended to put more prescribed fire on the landscape, but also to protect a lot of the wildlife habitat species. So we're pretty excited about those opportunities here.
0: Criticisms have been made relative to what are we doing on that forest landscape to minimize fire or at least respond environmentally as well as culturally, economically to it. And it sounds like these types of agreements have been years in the making, but are starting to produce some fruit and starting to see some action on the forest lands. Is that an accurate description of how you see it?
1: Yeah, that's a very accurate uh, description, Paul. And to further that example, Uh, Two years ago, we put more prescribed fire on the landscape on these National Forest Managed Lands than we have any time since the National Fire Plan was developed back in um, probably 2000. This past year, of course, you know, with the pandemic and and also with all the fire activities there, we didn't have the same opportunities, but we are still looking at ways to expand the use of prescribed fire. But that also includes going out and trying to treat some of this low-value scrubby material on the landscape where you cannot put a fire on some of these landscapes before going in and doing some type of mechanical treatment on there. So that it'll allow a prescribed burn to go through the landscapes. So we're we're looking at trying to improve opportunities for mechanical treatment prior to putting prescribed burning on the landscapes, so that it's a manageable situation and it doesn't turn into a catastrophic fire event, much like what we've been having this past year.
0: Yeah, what a great time to segue into GSNR, which is Golden State Natural Resources, which, as I'm sure you are very well aware of, is a program that RCRC itself has launched to basically take that low-value growth off of the forest lands, not just national forest lands, but private lands as well, and convert them into a commodity, most namely wood pellets, and those wood pellets would be shipped throughout the world as a source of energy for uh, those demanding entities. With that, the Forest Service signed a 20-year master stewardship agreement with RCRC via GSNR. With the expectations that this low growth matter that's basically harvest or taken off of national forest lands would be converted into this material, what are the Forest Service desired outcomes? How do you see this? stewardship agreement playing out, and what would be a a win, what would you describe as a win 20 years from now when we're kind of all said and done with this to a large degree?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question, actually. You know, the agreement with Golden State Natural Resources represents a great example of the stewardship authority provided by Congress, which they later extended to a 20-year agreement. Now, these longer-term agreements are more suitable to support business opportunities, such as pellet facilities that you mentioned or bower Energy Plant. The number one outcome of this agreement is to treat more acres naturally. So the low-value material has always presented a challenge to the region and our partners. So forest management work will be more economical if we have opportunities to use this material to manufacture pellets or produce bioenergy Building these facilities in some of our rural communities near the forest will make forest management more economical, and it'll also create jobs and and benefit businesses. Increasing the acres of treatment will also protect communities. As you know, we have a number of communities throughout California that are at high risk, catastrophic wildfires. And being able to go in and treat uh, areas around these communities to protect them seems like a really good idea. And so while we have challenges that prevents us from doing that, I think the intent is to take this low-value material, turn it into something that's useful but is economically beneficial to the business community, but also to these rural communities who are threatened by the conditions of some of our forests. I I think it's a win-win for everyone if we're able to do this on a much larger scale than what we're currently doing.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear. I think that we share a lot of those same aspirations with this project. It's not just, you know, to make money or convert resources into dollar resources. It's really to help rural communities with either their economic activity or basically minimizing fire but also really improving the watershed, improving the overall health of the forest. So we uh, really appreciate that partnership and glad to see that we have that agreement in place. Let's switch gears for a little minute and talk about what I think everybody wants to know, uh, regardless of uh, where you sit in this world and what you do for a living. And that is obviously the impacts of COVID-19 and what it's done to the Forest Service. Maybe you can talk a little bit about its impact in Region 5, uh, whether it's made it really difficult to manage personnel, or whether it's stalled projects that you would otherwise like to complete. How's COVID-19 treated the Forest Service, and particularly Region 5?
1: Like all of us, COVID-19 has had a huge effect on our employees, their families, our friends, and and even our partners that uh, we work so closely with. And my heart really goes out to anyone who's been affected by the pandemic, and it's had devastating impacts on many of our families here in the state. But as you said, it had impacts to people all over the country and all over the world, really. Remarkably, though, COVID has, has little effect on our forest management and our fire suppression other than the way that these activities are conducted. When it first hit back in March, we had to make some adjustments on how we do our work. We didn't really know how to operate in a COVID environment, uh, in a pandemic environment. And so we had to come together on what it would take to manage, keep the forest open, but yet not risk employees' health. And so once we got situated on that, To be honest with you, Region 5 and its partners accomplished a tremendous amount of work this year, and we did it safely by taking a proactive approach to determine what was essential work and minimizing the employee exposure through the use of telework and protective equipment. Now, out of a workforce of about 6,000 plus or minus, depending on the year, we have had only about 100 cases of COVID to date, and about 94 of those have recovered. So our prevention and mitigation work greatly diminished illnesses in our fire camps. You know, we looked at totally redesigning our fire camps. We didn't have the large base fire camps that we traditionally had. We had smaller camps that were spiked out across different locations to reduce the, the opportunity for a cluster spread. And particularly in an unprecedented fire season, which we've had this year, I would say that to have a hundred cases. 95 are recovered, five are in the process of recovering. That's pretty remarkable. And I think a lot of that goes to uh, the firefighting community, their willingness to adapt and adjust to the pandemic and stay safe in the process of doing that. The pandemic hit in March and the fires, I think we're on day 65, I believe, of the lightning hit. And looking at all of what happened this year, we still produce 1% more in our timber volume than we did last year. And we actually produce 98% of our intended target. This is the largest timber volume we've had in the last 10 years. And so we've been successful not only just trying to treat the landscape and producing a lot of the volume, but we've also protected a lot of wildlife. And in the process of doing that, we have had very little exposure based on what it could have been with the historic nature of the fires this year. So I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of that and, and how we've been able to to manage this pandemic to date.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear. Hey, finally, we are getting close to the election. And I think a lot of our listeners are want to hear your thoughts, even though these might be tough questions for you to answer because of the nature of, of your position. But can you maybe discuss a little bit about where you think things may change um, with either A continuation of the Trump administration or a new administration in the form of Vice President Biden becoming president? And what impacts, if any, that could have on Forest Service policy and some of the initiatives that you've undertaken, uh, not just in the last four years, but uh, as we talked about a moment ago, you know, these are five, 10-year projects that uh, you've been working on Should listeners expect some big changes here, uh, either uh, with the continuation of a Trump administration or a Biden administration? What are your thoughts there?
1: So, you know, as you know, the executive branch, you know, we work at the pleasure of the president, regardless of the party they represent. And uh, we intend to continue to do that, whether the current administration stay in place or even if there's a change. I think what's important to the citizens, particularly of California, is that there's some consistency in what we're trying to achieve and get accomplished. And that's protecting communities, providing access, and also contributing to the economic stimulus of our rural communities. We think that regardless of what happens, we'll be able to continue to do that. Good to hear.
0: Randy, thank you for joining us and spending a little bit of time with us. I know you have a busy, busy day and and managing forests in this climate with the fires and COVID and just general... Preventative work and working with communities. We really appreciate that time. So thank you. Thank you very much.
1: You know, Paul, I would say too, thank you for the invitation to come and speak. And the one thing that I want to leave with your listeners is that California has a lot of opportunities amongst a lot of the challenges here. And, you know, as I've toured across the country again, I think we have it right here in California. I just think we need to continue the partnerships that we have. And I have no doubt that uh, we'll get through the issues that we have here. We have partners here like nowhere else that I've
0: seen. Appreciate that. And on, I think I speak on behalf of all of the elected county supervisors in rural California. We uh, want to continue that partnership. We respect that partnership, and we want to see it flourish and thrive. So again, thank you, Randy. Thank you. You've been listening to Hometown California, a production of the Rural County Representatives of California. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to rate and review this podcast. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and thanks for listening.